I am Eric, and I have never disrespected the Wu-Tang Clan. He is Paul, and he looks like a guy who may have disrespected the Wu-Tang Clan. We are ginormous, and this is the Fat Packs Podcast. What's up, Paul? Saw, dude. Saw, man. How you doing? Man, I got love for Wu-Tang. You got the love? You got love for the Wu? Yeah, man. I love the no, Wu. No disrespect the Wu. Yeah, baby. We, no, that's ODB. Uh, I like the Wu-Tang. Yeah. I dig it. It's a. Uh, you know what fun. else I like even better? Tang. Tang? Yeah, that orange stuff you put in the water and you stir it up. Man, tang that stuff is time. good stuff, man. Yeah, that's like a poor man's uh, a poor man's Kool-Aid, right? Uh, well, it's, it's more expensive than Kool-Aid. Is it? Yeah, man, check that out in your supermarket. It's, it's probably been expensive. around longer than Kool-Aid, too. Yeah, man, it's been around forever. Maybe. No, no, no. Depends on what kind of Kool-Aid you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe Tang is, like, maybe Kool-Aid is the poor man's Tang, then. It's maybe. true. I wonder if they would, would sponsor Wu-Tang. I wonder if they, they could make that happen. I don't know, maybe. I don't know, maybe that's a uh, that's been a running joke in the office this last week and a half or so. Uh, we read the uh, the the I don't know how to, what to call it, but the jurors being dismissed from that uh, that DB's case about raising the prices of medic medicine, and uh, <laughs> the guy just said Andy disrespected the Wu Tang Clan. <laughs> that was so funny. That was funny. Uh, we've been laughing about it quite a bit, but uh, that's neither here nor there. We are here uh, this week. Talking all things fight related. Yes, indeed. Is that is that fair to say? Uh, it's very fair to say. I think it's a. Lot, I think we have a good show lined up for for everybody. I think they're going to enjoy it. You know what music we should come into? Well, we have our intro by Top Shelf Breaks. Oh, that's true. You know what we should end to then? What's that? Mama said. Mama said, "Knock you out" by yeah. LL Cool J. Yeah, there you go. I can make that happen. There you go. Uh, Should have talked about it a little bit before we started recording, but I can I can download it, and make it happen. Okay, all right, whatever. I can definitely we, do that. We fly by the seat of our pants sometimes. You know, sometimes we do, and it's. Yeah. I mean, the only thing we're organized with is the buffet. Let's <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, before we get into the show, let's talk about new products and pricing. Uh, your side of the thing, new products. What's going on this week, dude? Man. Panini. Dude, man. All right, what did Panini do? Origins football, man. I, okay. I, that's some beautiful stuff. They're man. very nice. I, They're I guess very I'm nice. just, I, I don't want to call it a sucker. I, I like this stuff, man. It was nice last year. It's nice this year. Two autos, one relic, about 95 a box. Stuff is just, it's hot right now. Very hot. Uh, dropped uh, yesterday on Wednesday, mm-hmm. and uh, we got to open some. Sure. And uh, it, it's good stuff. It's very nice. I was, uh, I, well, last year it looked a lot like Inception. It did. I wasn't, Everybody, going, I wasn't going there. That's but okay. Yeah. I went there. Everybody <laughs> said it looked like a lot, a lot like an Inception. And to be honest with you, it looked a lot like an Inception. This year, it's a completely different look. Uh, very, 
very nice not that they don't put out high quality things anyways but very nice high quality feel to it yeah absolutely and not it's not going to break your bank no good so, price point yeah all right we also have a uh, 19 or 19 uh, 2017 tops wwe nxt nice 10 packs 10 autos 185 a box 10 packs 10 autos 185 a box there you go that could be awesome on some level. It could be. It could really be. It could be. be. You're not going to get all hits, but, man, if you get a couple of them, you're going to be in good shape. So Sweet. check that out, my tops. Um, Leaf Best of uh, Basketball uh, It's a buyback. You're going to get one uh, buyback card and one Magic Johnson, and some of those Magic Johnsons will have auto. Some will not. Uh, they run about two forty-five a box uh, for Leaf, so it's a little high-end on the High end, but if you're getting a decent buyback card and a Magic Johnson autograph, I think it'll it'll work out for you on those. Uh, Leaf also came out with this week um, the Leaf autograph uh, full size helmets, which I love. I love this product. You yeah. open it up, full size helmet. They run about two twenty five a box. Checklist unbelievable. Uh, Peyton Manning, John Elway, Marino, uh, Walter Payton, Dak, um, Emmett Smith, Brady. Montana, the list goes on. So very cool stuff there. And because we can't disrespect the WNBA, (laughs) right? 1907 or 19. Why I keep saying 19 today? I don't know why. I don't know. 2017 Rittenhouse WNBA put out a full set. These sets are numbered to 500. Okay. Very limited. All right. Um, 110 cards in the set. And you're going to get two autos per set. So, which is kind of cool. So autos have different parallels and different things that that go along with it. So so you you buy the set. You're getting the five. You're getting the complete set plus two autos. Yeah, exactly. And okay. they run about one fifty a set. So if you're a WNBA fan, go grab it. The autos are decent. Uh, I don't remember the checklist off the top of my head, but I was like, oh, I actually, you know, know who those people are that are that are on there. So which is impressive because I don't know too many WNBA players. So go check it out. There you go, Skylar Diggs. Yeah, she's local. She is. <laughs> That's what I know. There you go. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Also, all right, let's talk about uh, new pricing. The uh, football side of things, Immaculate and Donruss, you sent me that on Monday, and I put it up later. Yeah, whatever. There you go. It's all good. It's up. So you got Immaculate Collegiate Collection done, which is very, very nice. <laughs> Loved it. Nice cards. Uh, Donruss football is done. Uh, Panini, what, what was this one called? Grand Reserve Basketball is done. Mm-hmm. Uh, good job, Brian. And then the big one, actually, it's bigger than what you think. Uh, most people see this out there and they're like, "Bah, whatever." It's a it's a stupid stupid show that it's not sports. I don't know anything about it. But Outlander season two cards are priced, and if you're sleeping on that, I feel sorry for you because that stuff it sells. It, it is. is very popular. It's a very popular show. It sells very well, and um, we are running a giveaway right now for said cards. We have an autograph from the star of the show who plays uh, Sam Hagen. He- he plays Jamie Fraser on the show. And okay, we we okay. have his autograph. Uh, we have a relic card of his. And you, you hear, oh, relic card. Let me tell you something. That relic card sells for about 80, 90 bucks. Yeah, so. man. It's, it's unbelievable <laughs> the, the, the secondary value, yeah. the secondary market on that stuff. Uh, very cool. Very popular show. And uh, if, you're, if you're sleeping on that giveaway, I would suggest you go get entered. you still got a couple of days to do so. So there's that. But um, I think, honestly, like on, it's probably been – for as simple as it is, it you know it's a box of cards and you get you know a, a relic and an autograph in each box, but it's pretty good return on investment overall wise. So Seems that way. It, it's it's been really cool for uh, people who have opened it and the secondary market has really de- really reacted to it. Plus, uh, I'm watching the show right now. 
Yeah, you, you said you mentioned that. Yeah, I'm watching the show right now, and it's it's not a bad show. It's really good, actually. Because you, 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 you were hating on it a little bit, weren't you? I was just, I was. Uh, Maybe you were just uninformed. I was. I was more. I was apathetic towards it. I just didn't. I didn't like. You know. I got you. Didn't really want to get into it or gotcha. anything. But here's the thing. Uh, my wife and I have been together for for almost a decade. Okay. Okay. Not, God bless that woman. Yeah, not once in our 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 relationship, dating, flirting, seeing each other on a weekend, anything, we've never watched a show together. That's crazy. We've not had one show that we ever watched together. So uh, I bit the bullet on the uh, on the romance uh, themed show, but it's really good. That's cool. really good. I'm happy for you, dude. I'm happy for me too, because it's working out well in the relationship. <laughs> <laughs> Love you, honey. Oh man. Uh, there, so there's that. All right, uh, let's set up the show. Coming up first uh, was a phone interview that we recorded on uh, Tuesday morning with a former boss of a manager. I don't want to call him a boss. He's not a boss. He's because boss that well, that word has a negative content. It does. Yeah, I don't like. It does. He was a, he was a manager of mine, um, and now he is a the VP of a company called Zebra Mats. Zebra Mats is a company that's been in business for 20 years now. Um, they make jujitsu fighting mats. They do, and you know a bunch of other products. Of them, but they're heavily involved with MMA as well. So we wanted, I wanted to bring him on the uh, on the show, and because t- he wrote a great piece for their their blog about what it was right, what it was like, what what what, what happened. What nothing, happened? nothing. He, he, just, he, having <laughs> just having thoughts. Just having thoughts. He, he had a he had a great he had, he wrote a great piece for their blog about uh, what it was like running a small business. Mm-hmm. Uh, which zebra mats can be considered a small business. You know, we're not, they're not a fortune 500 company or anything like that. So running a small business and how it relates to this fight this weekend that's happening. If you didn't know, Connor McDavid is fighting Floyd Mayweather this weekend. There's a fight this weekend. Yeah. If you didn't know that. Wow. Okay. If you weren't aware that the circus is coming to town. (laughs) See, I thought that's funny. I'll I'll leave it alone. (laughs) If you weren't aware of that, I'll leave it alone. That's this weekend. Um, so I wanted what I it has nothing to do with collecting cards. It really doesn't. Mm-mm. But I think it, it's it was a good read and it's a, some good insight about what it's like to run a small business and where it does collect connect with collecting cards is we're all pretty much a small business when it comes to oh yeah for sure to, I mean to, yeah yeah even if you're a PC guy you're, you're getting doubles you're getting extras you're, no. you're figuring out how to barter with them how to right. sell them how to you know, get some money back in to, to buy the next thing. So uh, he had some some good insight. On yeah, I, I think so too. He's he's younger than me. I'm 36. So he's definitely younger than me. He's he's younger than me, and he's the vice president of a company. So I think that he kind of he kind of knows what he's talking about. He does. You know, if he's if we're if we're talking small businesses. So, so when you listen to that interview, I want you to listen to it from the aspect of you are a small business, whether it be your trading or and where I think it really helps is is the brick and mortar guys. Yeah, I think yeah. it really helps there. So there's that. Then later in the show, at right after that interview, we just got off the phone with Adam Warshaw, who is a boxing card expert. I'm telling you, this dude is an expert. <laughs> Such a guru, man. Yeah. Just knows it all, man. Inside, outside, up, down, from strip cards to exhibit cards yeah. to just photographs. He knows right. it all. Um, I asked Ken Kinsley, "What's up, Ken?" I asked. I said, "Hey, man, I want to do a boxing episode. Uh, it's it's the fight's coming up. We want we want to do a boxing episode 
who do I need to talk to on Net 54? Because Net 54 is where I went immediately. I knew if anybody was going to be somewhere, it was going to be there. Right, right. And he said, you need to talk to this dude. And he sent me his information. So uh, I reached out to him. He was available. Lawyer by trade. Mm-hmm. Boxing card expert <laughs> by, habit, by hobby. By hobby. So, yeah. Okay. So, uh, there you go. Man, it was a good conversation. There's a lot of information there. He's got he's he's written a great book, several several editions of it now, but you can go get it from his website and you can learn all about boxing cards. Paul will tell you that well, he mentions it several times in the interview. As I'm listening to to uh Mr. Warshaw speak, my eyes are are lighting up with the passion of boxing card collecting again. Yes, so, they were. Uh, that was fun. Uh, we're gonna do all that. So back to back interviews for you. And then on the other side of that, we're gonna do a little Beckett Whatevs and round out the show. As we get on to lunch. So, yes. <laughs> all right. Yes. Um, Important you, stuff. You guys hang tight, and we'll be right back with Kyle Fisher. This is Tim Kinsley from Beans Ball Card Blog, and you are listening to Becker Radio. All right, guys, we're back after that quick break, and uh, joining us now, well, He's a he's a good friend of mine. I'll, I'll say that out out front. I say he's a good friend. He he might tell you otherwise. Um, you know, typically here, you know, we, we focus on on the collecting uh, in the hobby and you know how you guys can you know what to look for and ever. Uh, but this week we're going to do things a little bit different. There's a big fight coming up, and um, obviously, obviously, there's a big fight coming up this You're week. You're going down, man. I'm going down. Uh, although uh, there hasn't been a lot of lot of hype this this week about it, which is a little scary, but. Um, I have a I have a friend in, in the fight business that wrote a piece recently on his company's uh, blog about what small businesses can take away from how this fight was set up, and I actually thought it it, it paralleled the collecting world pretty well because uh, we're all small businesses, you know, whether we're selling on Facebook or eBay or you know trying to open a shop or brick and mortar shop. But anyways, uh, his name is Kyle Fisher. He's the VP of Zebra Mats, and uh, I'll let him introduce himself and tell you a little bit about uh, how long he's uh, he's been a young executive. But uh, without further ado, my friend, Mr. Kyle Fisher, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing excellent. How are you guys doing? Man, we're 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 good. Paul, how are you doing, buddy? I'm doing okay, man. You doing good? Doing okay. I've had my Mountain Dew. I've had my Monster. I'm good to go. Mount Monster. Nice. nice. Yep. Paul, are you. I mean, I'm sorry, uh, Kyle. Are you still drinking Monsters? Uh, well, yes. Of yeah, course. my man. We just, recently, we just recently did a gym in partnership with Monster in Florida, so of course I drink lots and lots of Monster <laughs> every day. Nice, <laughs> nice. Uh, all right, Kyle. Uh, the reason we brought you on this week was uh, to get a better feel about the business side of things and collecting. Um, but before we jump into all that, just let us know a little bit about yourself and uh, your current position, how long you've been there, but uh, what it took to get there. Sure. So uh, currently I'm the, the vice president of Zebra, and so I just I run the day-to-day business for our owner, Chuck, and I've been in this position for a year and a half. Before that, I was the operations manager here for a year, and before that, I worked in the, the wonderful and exciting world of logistics and transportation, which for some of us know it's really great, really fun, <laughs> and I'm Really sad to no longer be working in that industry. So, <laughs> you don't have to um, lie to the folks. <laughs> well, I feel like the way you opened the show, saying that we we're really good friends, like I, I guess I just thought that lying was the norm now. Oh, so. oh, oh man. <laughs> I like this guy. <laughs> God, uh, honestly, I've, I've told him before, I've told him this before, and I'm, I, I mean this from the bottom of my heart. Kyle, Kyle is absolutely the best 
manager I've ever had. He wasn't a boss. He wasn't he wasn't the guy that just directed stuff, though he, he could get there sometimes. <laughs> uh, but man, he was he was right there in the field with you, you know, helping you learn, and he was growing as well. So uh, that was very interesting. All right, so you you're the so, VP. So let, of- me, <laughs> let me let me take a minute for a second. Okay, so, all right, all right. I, I don't I don't want to hijack your show, but I'm gonna. Okay. So yesterday I received a call from a former employee okay. who you know, but I will not name. Okay. And she is now in a management position. And so she sent me a text and she's like, Hey, I have a, I have a boss leadership question. Do you have a minute? I was like, yeah. So she calls me and she goes, well, um, I have this difficult situation with some of my employees and I know that you worked with a lot of good leaders and good bosses before. So if you could tell me what they would do, I would really appreciate it. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. <laughs> Damn. Uh, I have a feeling I know who that is, but we won't name names either. We won't name. All right, let's get to this piece that you uh, that you wrote on your, your is, now it's Zebra, is it Zebra's blog or is it is it, how do you, how do you guys market that? Yeah, so obviously a lot if you know about marketing um, and SEO and and all the wonderfuls of, of showing up on Google, um, part of what they look for is a blog with pertinent and relevant information that feed not only back to your website, but back to things that are going on in real time in the world. Right. And so um, I just said, okay, well, obviously this fight's a big deal and there's a lot of traction about it. What, what, can, we, what can we do to bring value to our customers or our potential customers but also just be relevant. And so I was driving to work and the thought popped into my head, well, well, what if we took some lessons from this fight getting made and apply those to small business, which is the majority of our customers. And, and it's what we are as well. Makes sense. Makes total sense. Yeah, for sure. That makes total sense. All right. So I was reading it. I did read it. At a, uh, and I thought it was very interesting. That's why we brought you on. Um, but let's start where you did with, with failure. Why do you believe that uh, with a small business, failure is a terrible motivator? Well, I think failure equates to fear. And okay. fear is, is a bad motivator. And really, I mean, if you think about it from a human perspective, fear is, its whole purpose is to do two things. It's to help you survive, and it's, help you, it's to help you have awareness of threatening situations. And so if you bring that mindset into business, then you may be able to accomplish some things, but your outcome is basically going to be not die. And, and like, who wants to be in a business that just doesn't die, right? That's not very exciting. That's not very fun or adventurous. So when you use fear to, to motivate employees, you know, things like, you're going to lose your job or the company's going to go under or we're going to have a bad performance or nobody's going to get paid what they want or we won't be successful, you may inspire some things to get done, but you're really not going to motivate people to go out and pursue big ideas and to accomplish great things. They're just going to do what it takes, what their natural body is telling them, do what it takes to not die or to survive or to hang on. And so I just don't think that using that as a motivator for yourself, for your business, for your employees, is really going to help you accomplish what we all want to accomplish, which is great things, successful things, um, you know, 
creating a better business, creating a better marketing plan, whatever it may be. Makes sense. And that makes a lot of sense. Um, I, I can relate to that on a couple aspects. One, being in the military, you know, having the fear of dying on a daily basis. That's not a good, <laughs> it's not a good motivator. I mean, it keeps you alive, but you're not living. And then in business, you know, uh, with particularly the card business, you know, a guy with a brick and mortar, if his whole motivation is just not to not to close the shop, right? He's he, never going to make it. He's never going to make it. He's got he's got to have new ideas and things like that. Yeah. So now, it, like in our hobby, though, like accountability is a huge, huge thing. I mean, it's just a, like an unspoken trust with the dealers and the collectors and whatnot. So, um, what do you think as far as like a, being in a small business, um, a small business that allows them their customers to hold them accountable, as to one that's not allowed allowing them to hold them accountable? Yeah, I think that. Well, so there's two two parts to this. There's a lot of businesses that allow them their customers to hold themselves accountable. And they do a really good job at it. And then there's the other part, which is allowing visibility to that accountability. And I think the companies that find a way to allow their customers to hold them accountable and allow other customers or other potential customers to see that accountability in action, whether it be social media, uh, allowing poor reviews and resolutions to remain up on your site, um, all these different things that um, helps build trust. And today, in today's world of business, so much of what we do no longer requires a face-to-face or a handshake or anything like that. So you have to build a sense of trust and a sense of working together in other ways. You know, if you think back to the 90s, uh, way, way, way back when... <laughs> This little thing called eBay first started. I've heard you know, the it. Yeah. biggest concern, the biggest concern was how you how are people going to trust each other? And what they did was they built in some accountability. They allowed you to rate buyers and rate sellers, and then that rating followed them, and other people could look and say, "Well, do I want to do business with them or I don't?" And it's those types of things that we need to continue to work on and to grow. As we start to remove the personal interaction from business, because accountability is is going to be necessary when when marketing and, and electronics like I could make my little home office look like a billion dollar organization as long as I was good on the internet, as long as I put cool pictures up and I had a fancy address and I had a cool background behind my executive portrait. Like you would never know that I'm just sitting in my garage. <laughs> and so if you can create genuine authenticity with your customers and your potential customers, I think it's going to help you grow in the long run. Yeah, I mean, that, that makes that makes perfect sense. I mean, because the perception now is just unbelievable what you can create out there. Right. You know, I, I think you touched on something, too, that I want to um, um, Kyle, you, you, I'm sure you're not aware of this, but there's this um, there's a couple of maybe handful of groups dedicated to. Uh, scammers on on facebook where sports cards are concerned and the the problem that i see with it is that the slightest little thing can be turned into you're a scammer like a slow shipping right, or slow, yeah. you know a, a slow payment like say you buy something on a on a tuesday but you don't pay for it on a fri- till friday right. all of a sudden you're mm-hmm. a scammer uh, that's where feedback can get a little sketchy holding holding 
uh, customers accountable and, and companies accountable is one thing, but going overboard and completely uh, just tarnishing someone's reputation is a whole other thing. So when it, when you when you say um, being held accountable and you know leaving up bad reviews on your website or, or your Facebook page or, or whatever. Where where can that be start to be a, a deterrent, especially if there if it's not factual based? How can how can a small business or a, a, you know, a card shop owner uh, mm-hmm. f- fight that? I mean, because I mean, you say it, yeah. it should be there, and I, and I agree, but at some point, it's a deterrent. So look, I'll, look, I'll use the analogy that um, I know you could relate to, Eric, because. Uh, I know you. Okay. Um, Is this we'll a talk, food reference? Let's talk about food. Oh, there you go. Let's talk about food. <laughs> okay. Right? So if you go online and you look up a potential restaurant, uh, let's say it's a steakhouse, and you see 45 four- or five-star reviews with great comments about the food and the service, and then you see a few that say, this is the absolute worst place I've ever been to. It's a rip-off. I got food poisoning. I almost died. Okay. I take like I take that with a grain of salt, right? Because I can look and I can say, well, I've been in business, and I know that this customer probably had a bad experience and is probably emotional and took it out on this company. But it's so much easier to take out bad emotion online than it is positive response. And if more responses are positive, that means – the, cu- the customer experience was so good that someone took the time to say it was good and they didn't have to do that. Whereas when they have a bad experience, they want to make someone pay. And so I feel like those are a lot more common. So when I see uh, more good than bad, it really speaks a lot because the people leaving good comments really took the time, like wanted to say this was a good experience. I got you. Yeah, makes that makes, that makes sense. sense. Yeah, because yeah. I don't I don't ever go give good reviews online. Exactly. You know. Yeah. I just get no fired one, up and want to go blast them. No one goes to the BBB and leaves mm-hmm. a good review, right? They just all no. <laughs> it's, it's all blast. Okay, yeah, I got you. Is. I got you. All right, man. Let's talk about failure. Um, I'm sorry, failure is one part of growth, but um, you also mentioned in your piece that giving being given the chance to succeed is a, is another part of growth. Uh, and in the hobby, there's there's many collectors who are looking for the next big thing, you know, the next big way to make money. Um, you say that high performance, uh, high performance should be recognized and given room to pursue their their new ideas. What? Why is it important for management to first recognize a good idea and then second, give a good performer um, freedom to 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 sought at? My, I'm sorry, freedom to pursue their uh, idea. Yeah. So let's talk about this fight, right? So you have Conor McGregor, right, who is a contractor for the UFC, and. Um, you know, there is some debate legally whether or not he could have pursued this fight without the blessing of the UFC, but let's just assume that he couldn't. Um, so why? Why would the UFC take uh, their biggest star and allow him to do this? Well, I feel it's because he is their biggest star. And when you are a top performer, when you have continuously gone above and beyond expectations, right, and usually that translates into prosperity or wealth or, or success for the management or the ownership, um, you got to reward that. And you got to let them, uh, let those performers take some chances, 
you got to let them run a little bit because if you don't, then I think what you're what you're going to force those high performers to do is to say, a, I could go find someone else who will let me do this, or b, I could go out and do this on my own, and then do you really want to start competing against the the top performers that you've taught everything about your business to? And, and I don't think you you do. Also, um, you know, business is really tough. And people who have spent a lot of time and energy to grow a business oftentimes had to sacrifice some things to get there. And what I've seen is a lot of what they sacrifice is sometimes their own creativity, their own hobbies, their own things that led them to the success of the first place. And if you don't replace that fresh blood and that new ideas with someone else, then, then you, you risk letting your business die eventually. And so you're going to get a lot of bad ideas from employees and, and partners and things like that. But if you allow them the opportunity to explore the idea, then a lot of times they'll come up to, to the, they'll come to the resolution that maybe it's not the best idea themselves, but then they feel like they've been empowered and they have the freedom, right? Instead of just saying, ah, that's a bad idea, let them come to that conclusion and they'll, they'll actually be more appreciative because you gave them the opportunity to explore some original thinking. That's a good point. And then on the flip side, if it does become they do have that next great idea, then they, then you're able to come along and help them develop it and turn it into something even better. So mm-hmm. that's awesome. Absolutely, I like that. Awesome. Good deal. Um, now let's see. Now you know a lot of owners, a lot of business owners have huge, huge egos. We don't know anything about that here, but <laughs> they do. Um, but, but Dana White, who has an ego, made a smart business move here by taking the back seat on this deal. Why was it a smart move on his part? And what kind of benefits do you think the US, UFC will reap from him not, not being a part of it? Yeah, so let's, let's talk about the nuts and the bolts of like reality with the UFC right now. And this is the organization that was sold for $4.2 billion last year and then followed that year up with arguably one of their most lackluster years in the last five to seven years. So they've had a lot of stars on the sideline, Ronda Rousey, John Jones, Conor McGregor taking a long time off. Some of their other stars have left the company or retired. And now they have a mountain of debt (laughs) that they need to pay off. So it's not a great recipe. So what what does that do? Well, you start to be open to new ideas and new things and you you start to put your ego aside because you have shareholders knocking at the door that say hey you know we want to start seeing the movement so that's that's the specifics of of the ufc and and i think why they're playing this game now um a game that traditionally they would have never gotten near um in the past but then if we think about um small businesses in, in the world that uh, you and I, we all, we all live and work in. Um, ego can easily trip up a good deal. And we always want to win. Um, you know, we have a president right now that's really pumped about winning, um, but he's not unique. A, a lot of times as business owners, we think success is winning. And we got to remember that in business, it's not, success that's winning it's success is perpetuating the business 
in, in a manner that will allow it to grow. And sometimes that means you have to say, I'm not the best, or I'm not going to get the best, or I'm not going to win. But for the good of this business and the good of my uh, long-term goals, I'm going to set that aside. And I know that's kind of a long, convoluted answer, but that was kind of the point that I was trying to get across in the, in the blog. I, I, it makes sense to me. Paul, follow me here, okay? Okay. Um, it's the same thing on Facebook when, when somebody new opens up a Facebook page and it's dedicated for their auctions only. Right. Okay? Right. And then somebody sees that and wants to do it as well. So they open up a, a, a page and they have a, uh, it's dedicated to their auctions only, right? Right, right. But the problem is, is they can't compete with, with person A and their inventory. Right. That makes sense? Mm-hmm. So person B doesn't know their place, doesn't know their, uh, doesn't know their inventory and doesn't know their audience very well. And he, he, they go out and they just in a, in a burning flame and they they flame out quickly. Yes, right. Seen it happen. See, seen it happen. Seen lots it happen of times. lots of times. Lots of times. So um, Dana White here says, "Hey, I know my place here. I know where I need to be in this moment in time." And he took a back seat to this to this you know Floyd Weather Floyd Mayweather Productions whatever whatever it's called. And uh, I think he's going to come out on the other end. Yeah, I think it's going to definitely help his his financial situation. That's yeah, for sure. Definitely. And hopefully, you know, depending depending on who wins this thing, could uh, could be a real big deal for him. Nah, we'll we'll talk about who's going to win later. Yeah, yeah. we don't want to spoil it. Uh, okay. All right, um, <laughs> let's talk about side A and side B, um, and how it pertains to boxing and just business in general. What can a business owner take away from that concept, and sh- how should they apply it toward their customers? Yeah, so for those of you who don't know, in, in boxing specifically, uh, there's this historical notion of an A side and a B side, and those are how deals are negotiated and put together. So the A side uh, is usually the more popular or the more successful fighter, and they get the majority share of the revenue and the ticket sales and the concessions and this and that, right? And those numbers can change. Uh, as far as percentages, but you always give the A side the larger percentage. Okay. So a lot of the talk when Mayweather and McGregor were putting this together was who's the A side, who's the B side. Well, you have Mayweather, who's by far the more successful athlete, the higher earner, the more famous athlete. But then you have McGregor, who's currently probably more relevant, more exciting, uh, has a has a bigger fan base that's active right now. Uh, also, is partnered with the UFC, and so eventually they came to the resolution that um, Mayweather would be the A side, McGregor the B side. But the splits are not that far enough. But you know, there it also controls things like who's going to walk out first and and little things like that to to stroke the fighter's ego. And as I thought about this principle in small business. I thought, you know, we have to always make sure that our customers are the A side. Not that they always have to win or get the better deal or get the lion's share of the credit, but they always need to feel like they're the most important part of the transaction and they're the most important part of the negotiation. Um, In my world, I'm dealing with small business owners who oftentimes are opening their first gym it's a lifelong dream. It's something they worked really hard for, and it's a really big deal. And they're 
And they're oftentimes putting their whole life into this deal. And if it doesn't work, it's going to be really, really bad. But they are so pumped. And I have to be very sensitive to that when we start talking about pricing and service and things like that. Because I'm not just talking to them about a transaction like buying a vacuum. I'm talking to them about what their whole life has built up to. And if I don't make them feel like they're the most important part of the transaction, I may still get the business, but I've, I've soured the experience just a little bit for them, right? Sure. And, th- and I really want them to be exciting. I really want them to be happy about this adventure that they're going on. And in, in the world that you guys live in, I can see a lot of correlation that, you know, there's a, there's a value of something, there's a grade of something that's worth this, but don't lose fact that a lot of times you're dealing with people who this is their dream. This is what they've always wanted to do. And if you make them feel important, you'd be surprised at, at the repercussions that you, that you get, whether it's a lot easier to deal with, a lot better to negotiate with, um, and the overall experience will be better. That's great advice right there. That is great advice. I, I'm thinking right now of uh, there, there's, a, there's a constant battle between dealers and collectors and then the manufacturers, right? Because there's definitely three different levels here, yeah. uh, excluding <laughs> the distributors. Um, collectors and dealers are often upset with what the manufacturers are putting out because there's not the ROI that they're that, – that they think should be there, right? Right, right. Um, we just opened a very expensive box of basketball cards. We did, and you and I took the brunt of the uh, the <laughs> commenting uh, because we opened the box of cards. But in reality, we 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 didn't make those cards. We didn't make those you know, cards. But nope. because we were representing them, we we caught the brunt end of it. Um, <laughs> I think in collecting, what what uh, what Kyle is is saying here, especially for dealers, um, and guys who have shops. Is and I think a lot of there's a lot of out there that do this. You know, they they put their customer first. Right. The, there's no other business that you can walk into. You can't walk into a restaurant because you and I love to walk into restaurants every day and say, "Hey, <laughs> I uh, this is this is seven fifty on the menu. Uh, what can you do for me?" Yeah, never happens. You can't do that. They look but, at you funny. But you can go into a brick and mortar web uh, brick and mortar shop and say, "Hey, this this is a uh, hundred dollars." And what can you do for me? And no, nine times out of ten, the owner will probably give you 10, 12 bucks off. Right. right? right. Uh, you, but you can't walk into Nordstrom's. You can't exactly. walk anywhere. Like I was trying to explain it to my wife that she just can't walk up to the counter and say, hey, I want this blouse half off. You know, it's exactly. just not going to happen. Yeah, it's not going to happen. So it's a very unique business to begin yeah. with. Understanding the, understanding the A side and the B side is a, is a very uh, good way to, to put it. And you did it well, Kyle, in your piece. It, it, it's great. I'm going to post a link to that piece uh when this when this podcast here so other people can read it all right man let's talk about um well actually paul wanted to ask you about being a young executive i'll 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 back off yeah since you're a young guy a little younger than me which is (laughs) which just makes you a young guy for sure um when you look back over your career what um what are one or two things like principle wise that you're taking that you've learned from other people that have really something you've held on to and been able to um to help other and, and kind of pass on to help others in their businesses well I'm taking a big risk here because since Eric has worked for me in the past, he's been called bullshit on a lot of this. Okay. <laughs> so hopefully I'm not hopefully I'm not too far off. Everything's been one hundred percent true so far. Man, you guys lie a lot, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, the first thing the first thing that I learned um, 
uh, was about ownership. And ownership really has nothing to do with who owns the company. Right. It really has to do with responsibility. And there, there was a, there's a, a weird kind of dichotomy as an executive that you have to learn. And you have to be able to give your team the ability and the freedom to make decisions. But you, as the executive, have to be willing to be held accountable for those decisions. And you have to create an environment in which you foster growth and you foster uh, creativity, but that you're always kept in the loop and you you coach the decision-making process so that more decisions are made well than not. And then you have to be able to look your manager or owner or board in the eye and say, this is what we did. This is why we did it. And I take responsibility for it without saying that it was really Charlie or so-and-so or Jason that did it. You know, it was you. And you have to be confident in, in saying, you know, maybe you wouldn't have done it that way, but it's your team and your employees. And so the decision is, is yours. And so coming to, coming to grips with that um, has really allowed me to be successful as far as team uh, building in my career. Um, some other things is uh, don't don't be scared to have big ideas. Um, a lot of times you kind of know have if you guys have ever been in the corporate world, but you imagine a bunch of people in a, in a conference room and there's a problem that needs to be solved, and everybody's throwing out ideas and, and ways to fix the problem. And what I learned at, at a pretty young age is don't ever settle for solving that problem, solve the next problem it will create and the next problem after that, if you can. Um, because what happens is you get too, you get too short-sighted and you allow yourself, your vision to kind of close in on the problem, then that's what your organization will be. It will be uh, something that does something really great until there's a problem, then it will solve that problem. And it will never get past that point and start to become an organization that anticipates problems and solves them before they're ever even created so that your, your customers or your employees never even knew that there would be a problem. And don't be afraid of that. And it could cost you more money and it costs you more time and, you know, the conversations get real big. And, but that's okay because you can always pare down big ideas to make it fit a budget or a timeline. But it's real, real hard to take a small idea and blow it up and make it something that it's not. Wow, that makes man. I'm ready to go. Let's go. Uh, we should have had this guy on long time. We should have, man. Ago. We should have. That's for sure. All right, man. Let's talk about the fight. You are you're heading to Vegas this week. Are you first? Are you going to the fight? Uh, to be determined. So let me just say, as of right now, I'm not going to the fight. Okay. That that is subject to change at any moment. Okay. Because I might buy a ticket and I might have a ticket given to me. So. You know, I got some feelers out there, but if nothing else, I will be in town. Uh, I have to be there for work anyway for something unrelated. So we'll see if I end up at the fight or not. Okay. Uh, I have to ask, is is the beautiful Miss Anna traveling with you? She is not traveling with me at this time. I actually have two much less beautiful employees 
Okay. Uh, traveling with okay, me. so if you, if you, I I know I I know Miss Anna a little bit, and I think if you went to this fight without her, there might be some bitterness there because you went to the biggest. No, ev- no? are you serious? No, no. Okay, uh, this this has this has been discussed, and she is actually having a party at our house uh, while I'm not there. Okay, uh, with a bunch of people coming over to watch the fight, and so. I am I am free to go if I can find a way in that building. Okay, that, that makes. Uh, I know this firsthand. Anna's margaritas make things better. So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's cool. I'm sorry. All right, so you're on your way to Vegas, possibly going to the fight. Now this has been built up. It's it feels like a big circus to me. Is this just a big money grab? Is that what it is? Sure. I mean, yeah, I think, I think we'd be lying to ourselves and anyone else if that's not what this was, um, except for one person, right? I think in Conor McGregor's eyes, this is a chance to take himself to a level that none of us nor he could ever imagine. If, if by some wild chance he is to win this fight, He's going to go from being a somewhat famous person who, like, might make one episode of the Kardashians, right, <laughs> to arguably the most well-known athlete on the planet and possibly in the history of sports overnight. I, uh, I so for that. him, for him, it's a lot more than money on the line. It's it's. You will, you will. He ever have to work again online too? You know, right, right. That, that makes a lot of sense. And plus, he can read, so he's got one up on Floyd Mayweather. So he can, oh, he's geez. actually seen the contract <laughs> and understands it. <laughs> he just doesn't follow the commas. <laughs> no, that's messed up. All right, man. Well, we can't we can't get you out of here without uh, getting your pick. Who's going to win and why? I guess we can all go around and. And do that as well. Yeah. So I'll say this: don't don't bet on Mayweather because it's a terrible bet. It's the value's not there. Sure. So if you're going to place a bet, definitely bet on uh, McGregor. But if if the fight gets past the third or fourth round, then I'm expecting probably it'll be one of the most boring fights that we've ever seen, and. Mayweather will win a decision. He might lose two or three rounds at the most, um, but he'll be fine. He'll do what Mayweather does. He'll avoid. He'll stick, and everybody will go home kind of with a big letdown. And I think that's probably the most likely result. If if McGregor's going to win, it's going to be inside three or four rounds, and it's going to be a finish. And if that happens, hang on because. It's, it will be Conor McGregor's world, and we'll just be living in it. <laughs> <laughs> I completely agree with you. I completely agree too. Yeah, I think I think he's going to take him, though. You think? I think he's going to take. Him. I think Conor's going to take him. You think Conor's going to take him inside of four Conor, rounds? I, I don't. I'm not going to pick a round. Okay. But I, I think he's going to take him at some point. Is there's a like 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 Kyle was saying? There's the only person that this really matters to is him. Sure. So he's going to go out there swinging. He's going to give it his best shot, and if he lands something. Yeah, it could be over. I I just like I, we've yeah. talked about it in the office. I don't care if Conor McGregor wins. I I don't care if Floyd Mayweather wins. I want to see Conor McGregor kick him in the head so hard that Floyd doesn't know where he's at. <laughs> I think 
and I know that I understand that there's a penalty penalty in his contract for for kicking him. I don't know what yeah. it is, but I mean, it can't it can't be that much. I mean, when, when you look at the it overall is. per, it, it is what is it? It is. I don't know the exact number, but it would basically uh, take almost all of the money that he's going to earn. Okay. Uh, so nor- normally, like normally in this situation, um, if another boxer was to kick another boxer, he would just be faced with whatever the judge decided at that time, and then possibly the athletic commission later. Okay. And it would be, you know, $50,000 and a weekend of community service. I mean, we're not talking <laughs> about anything tough. Okay, you know? right. So that, so that is why it's actually in the contract in this case, because, um, you know, I, I'm not saying that anyone would ever do this, but you could get real famous by accepting a boxing, boxing match and then just kicking someone in the head. Right. You know? Right. And so if you just took your money and your fame and left, it wouldn't be a bad a bad loss either. So so they protected themselves against that. Okay. That makes sense. I'm Now I'm disappointed. I don't even want to watch. It's... <laughs> <laughs> now let, let me ask you guys Let me ask you guys a question. Okay. Uh, so this is, this is actually a two-part question. One... What do you guys think the UFC wants the result to be and why? And two, what kind of collectibles will we ex- – like what – like I'm so unfamiliar. So there's a huge event. So six months after the event, what kind of collectibles are going to be out on the market that are going to be real and worth the money? I think uh, – let, let me ask you the first part, Paul. Okay. If you want to tackle the second part, you can. Uh, first part of the question, I, I – this might be short-sighted of me, but I don't, I don't know that the UFC or Dana White cares really what the result is because of how much play they're getting from their guy being in it. I think it's, it's really good exposure for uh, a company who has a lot of debt, like you said. Um, with that being said, if Conor wins, I think they would be ecstatic through the roof because then they would have a, a marketing campaign, you know, the guy that beat Floyd on their hands that they could absolutely run with and just destroy things. Uh, Collectible-wise on the market, I think top. I mean, you can talk to Tops Now. Yeah, I mean, Tops Now will be huge. Um, Tops Now, is a, as, if you don't know, is a, is a Tops has taken it and they make instant cards. So the next day they will come out with a card. Mm-hmm. Conor McGregor wins or, you know, or Floyd wins, whatever. Either way, they're going to come out with a card. A lot of these cards, they'll put pieces of mats or relics yeah. on there. They'll do autograph cards, something mm-hmm. like that. So those right off the jump, I mean, within 24 hours will be huge. And that's the, that's the key you said there. Those cards are only available for 24 yeah, hours. Yeah, they're only available after, for so, 24 hours. So, so if you get them and get them wow. quickly, then then that's going to be a nice little piece for yeah, you. Yeah, that'll be a huge thing on the secondary market. Once they're shipped, they take about two weeks to ship. Once they ship and get back on eBay and then back in the secondary market, those things will double, triple, quadruple in price, right. I'm sure, right. on some level. Now, um, obviously, something like this, I'm sure there's going to be other people that get involved as far as the card companies go. There'll be commemorative sets, especially if McGregor wins. Right. I think if Floyd wins, I don't think there's going to be the commemorative sets and the big deal and the big hype made in, in, mm-hmm. in the collectibles market. But McGregor wins, man, watch out. You're going to yeah. see that guy's face on everything. Um, relic cards, autograph cards, everything. Yeah, I think so, so too. Commemorative sets. So it'll be like... Uh, Buy your Super Bowl package after they win. Get your program, your towel, and your trophy or whatever. Exactly. Like it'll be the same thing. Yeah. Exactly. They'll have it all over the place for him. Awesome. So gotcha. So uh we'll send you the link to Tops Now after the fight. That way you can uh Okay. Order your <laughs> You order your card. <laughs> order your cards. <laughs> That'd be great. All right, man. Uh we're up against it. We gotta get back to work. 
I know that you probably have some uh, some VP things to do, whatever VPs do. He definitely doesn't believe you about getting back to work. <laughs> he doesn't, does No, he? not at all. He yeah. <laughs> I want to, this is a true story. This is a I true feel, story. I feel, I feel like there's a Whataburger coming in Eric's future real soon. <laughs> <laughs> That's also a true story. <laughs> This is a true story. I we switched buildings from we had we had a location in Grapevine and we switched over to Irving. Uh-huh. And when we switched, I begged Kyle for him to make make me face him because there was a the separating offices, right? Okay. But there was a window where he could see into our office what we were doing. I begged him to let me have the computer facing him so he couldn't see what I was doing on my computer. <laughs> That's a true story. Oh my! It, I actually I actually still think I have a picture where I walked up behind you. And they were you were just on the Pizza Hut website. So. <laughs> wow, that, so believable. That did happen. <laughs> that did happen. All right, man. Uh, <laughs> we got to get back to work. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, but before you go, please tell our listeners where they can uh, uh, find Zebra Mats on social media and uh, and check it out. Yeah, so we're uh, at Zebra Mats on pretty much all social media, uh, especially Instagram. Uh, I'll be in Vegas this week, like I said, but I'm actually there for the International Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Federation's World Masters Tournament. Um, we'll, we'll have a, a booth there. We'll be at the tournament. We have a, a Mackenzie Dern autograph signing on Saturday, so if you're into Jiu-Jitsu or MMA, come check her out. And, uh, and then my personal social media can be found. Usually, if you follow Zebra Mask, you'll, you'll see me make an appearance there, and you'll be able to find me. So uh, hopefully I get to see some people this weekend. Awesome. Awesome, guys. Good deal. If you're in Vegas, go check them out. Um, I know that we have some listeners out there, so you guys stop by that and, uh, and, and go check them out. Maybe, maybe you can re- report back to us if, he, if you see Kyle at the fight. And, uh, or eating Whataburger. Yeah. Or, or, no, he, Kyle, Kyle wouldn't eat Whataburger. He would, uh, he, he's, a, he's a healthy guy. Oh, man. Not really. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Thanks for joining us, and uh, you guys hang tight. We'll be right back. This is Doug from MojoBreak.com, and you're listening to Beckett Radio. Shoo came up. All right, guys, we're back after that quick break. Uh, Kyle Fisher on the phone with us uh, from Zebra Mats, and he was uh, getting ready to go to Vegas, but now we're going to talk boxing. And I'm excited about this because I love I love the boxing cards. You know, I I, I kind of do. You 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 tried I, to collect them. At I one tried point, to, I and I there was like so much there that I that I couldn't I couldn't quite follow it. But the gentleman on the phone with us now, Mr. Adam Warshaw, uh, from the America's Great Boxing Card Cards, uh, lovely website. He's joining us. He is an expert in, in boxing cards, and since it's all about the fight this week, we wanted to bring him on and, and learn about the history of boxing cards and. Uh, just all that entails, because I think there's a lot there. Looks like it. It yes, looks like there's sure. a lot there. All right, uh, Adam, please introduce yourself a little bit and tell us a little more about yourself. Sure, my I'm name sorry, is Adam I said, Warshaw. I'm, a, I'm an attorney in Burbank, California, and I've been collecting cards since I was five years old. Uh, I started out uh, as a dealer when I was 12 years old at the old West Coast Card Club here in Los Angeles, and I've been involved actively in the hobby ever since. I've uh, I'm uh, one of the principal contributors to the Standard Catalog of Baseball Cards, written articles for VCBC and other publications, uh, Old Cardboard. And since about 10 years ago, I've been publishing a book called America's Great Boxing Cards, which is an encyclopedia of American and and uh, American possession, if you will, uh, boxing cards. You know, so I cover 
the stuff issued in the United States, but also throughout South America, Central America, North America, and places like the Philippines that were American colonies at the time. Sweet, man. So you're really the go-to guy here then. Pretty much, yeah. I get calls from the grading services all the time asking me about boxing issues. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> Good stuff, man. That's funny. That's real funny. <laughs> That's awesome, man. So, um, so what is it about like the boxing cards that drew you in? I mean, are you a huge boxing fan, or was there just something about the cards? Like, what was it? You, you know, I did martial arts as a kid. I used to fight, so I got a little bit of a taste of what it's like to do that, but... What really got me was I went to a card show. They used to have those, actually, uh, back, in, <laughs> back in the early, I was probably in the late 80s, and uh, I saw some 1948 Leaf boxing cards of a couple of guys. One was named Benny Leonard, and the other was named Barney Ross. And these are boxing fans will know them as, as major Hall of Famers. Uh, Leonard is probably the greatest lightweight who ever lived, and uh, Ross is one of the great welterweights and was also a World War II hero won a silver star and the second highest commendations for uh, Battle of Valor at Guadalcanal. Wow. Um, the cards themselves, you know, I saw them, I looked them, I flipped them over, and the thing that struck me was that it mentioned on both cards these guys were Jewish. Well, I never heard of Jewish boxers before, you know, so I thought, wow, that's really interesting. Uh, I knew about Hank Greenberg and Sandy Koufax, but I'd never heard of boxers. So the cards weren't expensive. I picked them up, I brought them home, I showed them to my father, he looked at the Barney Ross card, and he says, oh, yeah, I think my cousin Ray fought this guy. What? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was my reaction. He could have knocked me over with a feather. I said, what are you talking about? And he says, oh, I had a cousin, I had a cousin from Chicago, Ray Miller, who was a big boxer back in the 20s and a referee. Wow. And I went, wow. Okay, <laughs> so I started doing a little research, which at that time meant actual looking in books because there was no Internet yes, sir. Uh, research <laughs> to speak of. And I, what I found was that my, my cousin, my, my, basically my grandfather's first cousin from Chicago, was the number one ranked lightweight contender in 1929. And was the only man who'd ever knocked out a Hall of Fame fighter by the name of Jimmy McLarnon. Wow. So, you know, somebody in my family was way up there in the boxing ranks, which stunned me because, you know, I'm a clutch. <laughs> so, I, you know, so I said, well, this is interesting. I want to know more about this stuff. And I started looking at boxing cards. Uh, at the time, Beckett's published a three, uh, you know, basically a multi-sport book. Okay. Uh, you know, actual hard book. And it had, it had a small section on boxing cards, in it, which I never really paid much attention to. I started looking through it, and I'll be honest, I was looking for Jewish names as well as my cousin. And I found not only were a bunch of boxers who seemed to be Jewish, but I also found my cousin in the 51 ringside set. Nice. Wow, what well, i got to have that. So off I went to go get you know, a 51 ringside, and then from there, uh, you know, the Internet started up, eBay started up, and I started doing research uh, about boxing cards. First thing I found was that there's basically no information out there. Right. Um, the only thing I could find was a book from England uh, called Seconds Out by a guy named Evan Jones that had been written under the auspices of the Cartophilic Society of Great Britain, and it covered a smattering of American issues. It covered British issues. But it had no exposition about what the cards were were about, and it also was riddled with mistakes in the checklists and information. And I mean that was obvious even from just looking at the American, the basic American sets that the stuff was all wrong. So, you know, started out with that, and then I said I'm going to write my own book, and I just sat down and every day I would work on the thing for like a year, hmm. and I finally I put it together and published it, and uh, you know self published it initially, and, and it worked great, and then as online print on demand came into into effect. I'm now working with a publisher called Lulu.com, which basically 
prints on demand, and I've been using them for the last several editions. Oh, nice. Man, that's fantastic. Man, what a great story. You sit like, down and you find out that you're related to you know, one of the best boxers in the world. That's good stuff. That's really good stuff. That doesn't happen every yeah, day. Yeah, stunning. Stunning to me. Absolutely stunning. And now it's... My a father would always... Since I'm a, I'm a lawyer and a, and a litigator, my father would always ask me, how come you're so you know combative? And I'm, now I can finally say, well, look at our family tree. Exactly. <laughs> you just combat in different ways then. Yeah. No. And in actuality, <laughs> another boxer fell out of our family tree. Um, turned out that another one of our... My grandfather's first cousins, uh, also from Chicago, is a guy named Benny Barris, who was a what you call a club fighter. He wasn't a contender. He wasn't a champion. He was the kind of guy who'd fight in smaller venues, uh, basically fought all the way across the west coast of California, of California, Oregon, and Washington to amass enough money to go home and start a business of his own, which he did. Nice. Good deal. Yeah, so he and, he and Ray were close friends because they were frequently, you know, touring together as boxers. Awesome. Man. And I found out I found a whole branch of our family in Chicago that we didn't quite know about as a result of this. Sweet. So not only was it uh, it it was it was both a history of your family and a history of boxing, and you got it all at once. Yep, that's, that's really exactly. cool. Exactly. Really cool. And then the cards too are just amazing. I mean, you know, I collected baseball cards since I was all all sports since I was a kid, and and the boxing cards were just stunning. I couldn't believe how many there were, how varied they were. It's it's the most worldwide sport there is. I've got cards from every continent except Antarctica. All right. Well, let, let's go back and start there with at the beginning of boxing cards. Uh, yeah. What is the earliest known example of, of boxing cards that, that you found? Well, the, the, what I would classify as the earliest card is an issue from a New York uh, photographer in about 1860. Uh, wow. The photographer uh, Charles DeForest Fredericks. Uh, basically a contemporary of Matthew Brady, his stuff's in the Smithsonian and other museums, uh, he started a commercial photography studio and store in the Bowery in New York. He put out a line of cards of celebrities. At the time, it was very popular for photographers to bring in celebrities, take their pictures for pay, and then distribute the photographs. He created cards. They were, they were CDVs, carte de visite. They're about the size of a large modern baseball card. Okay. Had a photograph of the, of the celebrity on it, imprinted on the back with his studio information, he would sell them retail over the counter. Wow, that's... Um, what I found were four cards of uh, the then-American heavyweight champion, John Heenan, which looked like they were taken just before he went over to England to, to have the first international heavyweight championship fight. Okay, so... And those cards were issued, you know, as CDVs, basically by on the speciality label, is what, is what his, his series was called, by Fredericks, and... Sold at retail in New York. So, so at this time, he this this young man is a just a celebrity because he's he's fighting worldwide. Is that is that am I getting that right? Yeah, he, he was he's out of California, actually, okay. Venetia, okay. California, which is in uh, near San Francisco. He he beat everybody in the United States and basically became the acknowledged heavyweight champion of the United States, and was then challenged to go fight in England against their heavyweight champion. Okay, uh, that makes sense. Pugilism really started in England in the in the. Uh, 18th century, okay. what we think of as modern boxing. It really started in, in England. So they were always the ones with the champions, but of course, the colonies and then the states being the size they were, we developed our own fighters. Okay. All right. Very cool. Makes sense. All right, so that was like the first card. So when did they actually start like um, issuing like the actual set, something that we would, we would you know, uh, recognize as a set today? And what are some of the hardest ones to come by? Sure. The, the first set that you would think of as in contemporary terms was issued by Goodwin in its old Judge N-167 issue. 
and they put out four cards of, of various fighters at the time, uh, three of which are Hall of Famers. So okay. Wow. They were pretty good, I guess. <laughs> pretty good. <laughs> what what, what um, were and those then, And then, of course, and then, and then the old judge issue, there was a massive issue, N-174. Jeez. That's a, that's a whole different language to me. <laughs> so what does something like that yeah. go for? Like, what is a... Like, you know, we have the Hannes Wagner, you know, card that goes for, a, a, you know, millions of dollars. Is there something like that in boxing? Like, is there that card in boxing? Yeah, the, the, well, one thing to understand about boxing, it is still incredibly reasonable as far as price goes. Okay. Um, you know, you're spending four figures on a boxing card, you're really spending a lot. I okay. mean, it's really got to be a spectacular card. The the one that's going to carry, that, that is the most valuable by far, is an, a 1948 Leaf card of Rocky Graziano. Graziano was a, was a Hall of Famer. He's a middleweight champ, um, but not you know the kind of guy you'd think of as the greatest boxer of all time. What makes his card expensive is that he was an incredibly litigious person okay. and uh, didn't like his image being used for anything. When the card was issued by Leaf, apparently he threatened them and got it pulled. Ah. And a, a handful of them went out in you know regular sheet form and went went in, went out in actual packs. Uh, there's about you know, seven or eight known examples of this card, and I'm sure there's some others floating around out there. Uh, it sells; it can sell for up to sixty thousand dollars. Wow! Wow! I mean, before a boxing card, that seems impressive. That is impressive. I mean, yeah. it's a similar story to the Hannes Wagner card. He didn't like tobacco, yeah, and when his card similar. pulled, now and, yeah. now you can step down from there dramatically. You know, uh, the next most valuable cards you're looking at are probably a few of the very difficult uh, tobacco and candy issues from the 1910s of Jack Johnson, the first black heavyweight champ. Yes, sir. Uh, those cards will go for several thousand dollars. They used to be a lot more, but since the Great Recession, prices have come down substantially. Well, let's talk about the, the early 1900s. What happened with the American Tobacco Trust Company that brought tobacco cards to a halt in the early 1900s? Well, they, there, was, there was a couple of things. First of all, as, as you know, the, the trust busters broke up the ATC yes, sir. into separate competing companies. Um, what is widely blamed for the demise of tobacco cards is the fact that one of the companies, the ones that made Campbell, started advertising that they didn't waste their money on premiums. They put it into better tobacco. Ah, I see. You know, it's, it's, of course, in modern days, that's kind of an oxymoron. I mean, better right. cancer sticks, come <laughs> exactly. on. Exactly, better cancer sticks, that's right. <laughs> but at the time, all the manufacturers reacted by stopping the manufacture of cards. I think they were afraid that they would be depicted as wasting their money on packaging instead of on the quality of the smokes. <laughs> That's too funny. That's too funny. Yeah, it's not to say that card production ground to a halt. It just shifted into other other media. Right. Um, you know, the twenties really were when the when it picked up. I mean, you had you had strip cards and exhibit cards, and you know various other issues and lots and lots of local regional stuff. So I've heard of strip cards. What what exactly are strip cards? Strip cards were sold as a, as an item directly with no product tie in. They're basically. Uh, you know, a paper strip or a cardboard strip depicting several subjects on it that the kids were intended. They had dotted lines. You're supposed to cut them out into little cards. Okay. All right. I've seen one of those recently. They were also issued on sheets. Same thing. Same idea. Yeah. I seen. Okay. I saw a Babe Ruth on uh, Pawn Stars recently where the guy, it was a strip card. That strip makes sense. Okay. okay. I got all it. Right. That works. That works. Okay. So um, so we had all you know, the issues with the tobacco company. So then after World War One, um, production starts again. Um, how? I mean, was it... Did they did they take off? You know, was it did they have the same? Um, uh, what am I trying to say? Did they have the same uh, popularity uh, after the war? War after the war? Well, they were popular, but I don't think in, in the same mechanism as as otherwise. I mean, the, the boxing area anyway 
it primarily ended up being strip cards and the exhibit cards out of the exhibit arcade machines. Okay. I was gonna they really didn't get into gum cards. Um, and when gum cards were issued, there were virtually no boxing cards included. Now, what is an exhibit arcade game? What is that? Okay, what? exhibit machines were in, you know, back in the days before TV and all of that, people left their homes at night and they actually went to places. Um, <laughs> they're a vending machine, essentially. Their arcades were very popular. Lots of, you know, games you could play and little flip book, you know, movies you could watch on the movieola and those kinds of things. They also had cards that they would dispense out of a vending machine. They're postcard size. Some of them had postcard backs, and they would depict popular subjects of the day, you know, movie stars, westerns, uh, little games, that kind of thing. And starting in 21, the exhibit supply company, which was the dominant manufacturer, started making cards of, of baseball and boxing. So this is uh, similar to, like, you go get a... You, you put your 25 cents in and you go get a tattoo out. You can push it in and pull push it out. And and pull you it out. Yeah, it makes sense. Okay. I'm, okay, I got yeah, you. Yeah, right, exactly. Got you. It's a vending machine. All right, cool. It's a vending machine. These cards these cards were issued. And the, the, the thing about the exhibits that stands out is that they were issued continuously from 1921 till about 1970. All right. Which is a huge run, longest run other than tops. And the other thing that really sticks out about them is that they issued new cards every, virtually every year. So you got more and more, you know, thousands of fighters documented in these cards that otherwise aren't documented in any cards. So if you, you know, sets would but, vary from like as little as thirty-two to as high as one hundred and twenty-eight. So what would happen if, like, so at the end, the end of one year, and then a new, new uh, subjects get put into the vending machine? What happens to the old ones? And are they are they destroyed or? Uh, are they just sitting somewhere, or how's that? God knows. It's up to the it's up to the owners of the of the arcades to do what they want with them. Okay. Because the the way it worked was you bought your cards in blocks of five hundred from the exhibit supply company in Chicago. They sent them to you in bricks, and you stuck them in the machines and sold them. Okay. <laughs> if they didn't sell, tough luck. Okay. Wow. Now I have a feeling that they I have a feeling that they tried to diversify a little bit in the late twenties because there's a whole series of exhibit cards which, you know, are definitively exhibit products, but actually say on them, don't use an exhibit machines. They're designed as postcards. Ah, uh, okay. So I think they were more of a point-of-sale postcard type arrangement because they realized they couldn't shove everything through an exhibit machine. Makes sense. All right. So they, they, put, they basically just put Im- images on everything, right. just hoping that something Yeah. Oh, yeah. They, 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 they advertise themselves as issuing a new set of cards every 60 days at their height. Wow. Holy smokes. And I guess and if you people, look at the catalogs from the era, I mean, there are dozens of sets of cards that come out. Most of them have, you know, no interest to any of us. I mean, you know, 1920s flappers, yeah, I really don't want to look at those. But, right. <laughs> you know, but they, they issue boxing every year, and trying to, trying to put together a catalog of those is very difficult. Because one of the things they did, which was great but really annoying, is whenever a boxer fell out of the rankings, retired, whatever, they'd pull his card midstream and replace it with somebody else. Okay. So oh, there's I all see. kinds of short prints and rarities and everything floating around. Oh, this is Man, gonna, they were really on top of things. This they is, were like more on top of things back then than they are now with, with production. This this is is even more than that, they also put records and biographies on the backs of these cards, and those were updated every year. Wow, real stats. Real stats. This is going to become a, a new passion oh, yeah. for me. Real stats. I'm going to be in trouble. Eric's going to start collecting again. I'm going to start collecting. Cards. I can see the they wheels even turning. issued the first leader card, as far as I can tell. In 1927, they issued a card that listed, it was called Fighters with the Knockout Punch, and it basically had a list of statistics on the best knockout boxers. Oh, wow. That's kind of cool. I like First to have leader that card. card I've ever seen. Sweet. 
All right, let's talk about what happens after World War II when boxing cards all but disappeared from the market uh, outside of the arcade machines. Like, you know, Tops and Leaf, and they're, they're just sparse. What happened? Was, was it the popularity of boxing having play of the downfall? Or, I mean, what, what do you think? Well, I, I, you know, I, I'm not sure because the two sets that were issued, the two great post-war sets that were issued, the 48 Leaf and the 51 Tops Ringside, yes, sir. You know, are, are are were issued during the heyday of television boxing. Mm-hmm. I mean, boxing was huge on TV in the 50s. Uh, so I don't know what happened there. I can only guess the cards weren't that popular. Um, part of the problem, if you look at the cards themselves, and I think this might might be an issue that you know 60 61 Fleer Baseball had. There's no virtually no contemporary fighters in it. Both of the sets are highly historical in nature. And, you know, I can see a kid going to the store and pulling a you know, thing out of there and pulling a couple of guys who fought in 1910 not being very excited about it. I think that's what hurt the sets more than anything else, lack of contemporary fighters. Oh, I see. That, I mean, that yeah. does make sense. No, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, because you always talk about when they opened up the baseball cards, they got to see the guys that they were watching on TV. Sure. And, uh, how, yeah, exactly. How they made a connection with You got, with you got that with, with both of those sets, but a, a large chunk of the sets were devoted to the old guys. Ah. Uh. That makes sense. Yeah, that would that would. Part that would, of the problem, I think, was that, uh, and I can kind of substantiate this from Topps' own, you know, archive sales. With baseball, you can go and license things, and go, you got one clubhouse. You go into the clubhouse, you get the signatures. You, you know, it's very easy, mechanically, to do this. Okay, boxing doesn't have a central authority like that, and no central gathering place. That's right. Forty. I got fifty-one ringside. Topps put out uh, in its, you know, in its sales of of its uh, Topps archive stuff. They put out uh, the original contracts that were that were signed by all these boxers, you know, in order to enable them to use their images. When you think about it, Tops had to go out and find these guys. Some of them had been retired for thirty years. Get them to sign these things. Gather them all up in order to do this set. That's a lot of legwork. A lot more work. That's a, that's a lot they of just work. kind of you know threw in the towel on all that work. Yeah. That. Well, kudos to them for making Get, it happen. Getting what they did, you know, that's uh, that, yeah, that's even better. Of... Putting out the contracts for sale in their tops vaults, uh, exactly. sales on eBay. <laughs> exactly. All right, let's talk about some of the more sought after cards in, in in the box. And you mentioned a few, but I, I know I know that there's a um, a Max Schmeling with the Nazi uh, swastika on it. Yeah, and that that's one of the that's one of the um, it's one of the interesting stories. It was put out by uh, you know um, in 1956 as part of a set which had all the heavyweight champions in it. It was a multi-sport set. It's the one that has the Harry Aganis card in it. Yes, sir. Uh, you know, the, the guy who was killed, uh, the Boston guy was killed. Yes, sir. Um, the, the card was, was allegedly pulled early because of the swastika and so many parents complaining about it. Uh, there have been a lot of finds of unopened material, especially vending boxes of these cards. And the Schmeling cards are expensive but pretty easy to find. You can actually pick one up pretty readily. Oh, that's nice. That's <laughs> <laughs> if you want a swastika in your collection, that's the best way to do yeah, it. Well, yeah, I, I, I didn't want to sound like that, but just to, to know that they're that's weird. I guess weird is the better way yeah, to put it. Yeah, and that's why parents went crazy in 1956. You can imagine you're 10 years out of World War II, and you know your kids bringing home a swastika. Right. That's <laughs> that's difficult to handle. That is difficult to handle. Now, what about Rocky? Kind Mar- of an innocent mistake. They were national flags that were using as backgrounds. I so. see. I see. What 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 about uh, Rocky Marciano's rookie card? What let I me mean, what's considered his rookie card? Fifty one ringside is the basic Marciano rookie card. Okay, and now and there are there are some earlier items of his, but they're not 
you know, widespread or anything. There's some premiums, some postcards, that kind of thing. But the 51 ringside is basically his rookie card. Sweet. Okay. And what about, like, would Cassius Clay or any of those guys have, have a card like that? Oh, yeah. But here's, here's where you go international, okay? Remember, boxing is an international sport. Champions are from all over the world. Bouts are all over the world. And cards have been created all over the world from, you know, the early teens on upwards. Uh, I mean, everywhere you can think of virtually has, every country that has boxing has boxing cards. Uh, Cassius Clay, the first items you would consider cards of him were issued overseas. Uh, there were some sets issued in conjunction with the 1960 Olympics, uh, one of which is the Hemet set from uh, Sweden, which has a Cassius Clay item in it. Ah, so is that so that's that's the earliest thing? Then and then a magazine in Sweden called Record issued various boxing strip cards, effectively on the covers of the magazines for several years. And there's a 1962 Cassius Clay. So then uh, there are some cards from from uh, Australia from '64 Cassius Clay. Are those all tough finds, or are they pretty readily? Not particularly. Out there? Okay. They're they're around. I mean, you can find them regularly on eBay, but they're fairly you know they price pretty pretty well. Uh, by 65, you start seeing the Panini sets from Italy carrying Cassius Clay cards. Um, there's also the earliest American card of him is the exhibit card with the green, green-tinted exhibit card. That's the earliest one of his. Okay, sweet. All right, good Very deal, cool. man. That's awesome. Awesome. Now, I have to ask you: Do you have a do you have a boxing card collection that like I, I know everybody has their PC. Do you have a PC that you that you're working on? I've got yeah, I've got a collection. <laughs> okay, right. what are some of your highlights? Um, well, obviously, I've got a, I've collected everything I can find of my cousins. Okay, awesome. So I've got I've got cards, I've got autographed photographs, I've got letters, I've got posters from their fights. Uh, you know, though that's that's something I would consider just more of a family collection thing. Uh, I have one of the extreme short prints from the T two twenty silver bordered cards by the cigarette companies in the nineteen tens. A uh, fighter named Mike Donovan. Uh, there are two cards in that set that are virtually impossible to find. I think they were a premium of some kind for for a, you know for a winning sweepstakes kind of thing. Uh-huh. Uh, there's there's four known examples of Donovan. I've got one of those. Uh, I have a complete run of the 1955-56 Topps uh, Hocus Focus. You know the little the little photographic cards. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. Virtually impossible to assemble. There's there's a, Mar- a couple of Marciano cards in there. Uh, Kid Gavilan, uh, Jersey Joe Walcott, um, Archie Moore. I mean, they're just that's I've got that little thing there, and then some of the overseas one of type cards that I've picked up. You know, postcards are huge in boxing because with the dearth of other things, postcards become very big. And you know, I've got some beautiful, beautiful postcards of of some of the major, major fighters. Uh, you know, Jack Johnson, Jim Jeffries, uh, Bob Fitzsimmons, another Hall of Fame uh, heavyweight champ. Those kinds of things. My favorite piece is uh, I've got a 51 ringside salesman sample sheet, which is one of the most beautiful sample sheets ever produced because of the back artwork on it that has Marciano's rookie card on it. Very nice. That is very cool. That's very, very nice. cool. All right, so that's a fun one. So you've definitely got Eric in this mode of he's yeah. going to go collect boxing cards. But <laughs> why don't you, can can you tell our listeners some of the things they need to know, maybe be aware of before they just like jump in and start saying, "Hey, I'm just going to start buying all these different boxing cards." Yeah, you got to really look around and study it a little bit. Um, one of the mistakes I made early on was I was, you know, I saw a couple of sets of, of British boxing cards, one from about 1910, one from 1938, 
Um, and I go, oh, great. And I, they were fantastic. I had all these great fighters in them, and I bought them. And then I only found out later that the set from 38, which is Churchman's Tobacco, is incredibly common. I mean, common as dirt. There's, there's just tons and tons of them because the British had an organized collecting society all the way back in that era. Uh. And, you know, the cards are, they had, there's some worth to them, but it's really minimal because they're so easy to find. Um, the other thing I found, you know, a lot of what people tell you about boxing is just, is just myth. It's just not true. I mean, wow. they, they say things about the card production and everything else that just aren't substantiated, you know. Um, we know for sure, we know fairly little for sure about some of these issues. Some of them we don't even know the checklists. Um, so I'm never, I'm always skeptical, but I'm never surprised when something new pops up. Ah, uh, hmm. that's nice. The other thing is, internationally speaking, you can see cards from all over the world. If you see a card of a fighter you really want to get a card of, and it's something that pops up and you like it, buy it. Because you may not see it again. It might have come out of some, you know, some collection or some accumulation in Venezuela, and you're just not going to see it. That makes sense. I mean, if they were at that time just putting pictures and, and people on everything, some two-bit company could have made like a two-week production and then folded, yeah. and they've got these cards out there somewhere. Yeah, that haven't yeah been and, and that happens. I mean, I picked up a set of cards from Uruguay, of all places, huh. um, that was produced in 1930. And it's, you know, it's fairly innocuous, doesn't have a lot to say about it for itself, but it's got two cards of, for some reason, the tiny little cards, you know, but one of them, each of them has two pictures on it of Hall of Famers. And I've never seen another version of this set, because uh, I guess Uruguay, they didn't really maintain the cards very well. Right, of no, course makes, not. Makes perfect sense. Yeah. Makes perfect sense. All right, uh, Mr. Warshaw, we are up against it. we got to get out of here. But before we do, we want to give our give you a, sh- a chance to tell our listeners uh, a little bit more about your book, where they can find it, and where they can follow you on social media, if you have anything like sure. that. Uh, my website is americasgreatboxingcards.com. Okay. And the book is available through that website direct from the publisher. Uh, the other thing I want to let, let everybody know about is that we have, I'm working with Love of the Game Auctions, curating a boxing auction for them in November. Um, this is our second ringside auction. I did one last year with them as well. went very well. We had all kinds of great cards in there. I mean, really good stuff, real rarities. Sweet. So that's live in November? Yeah, that'll that'll... Go live in November and close sometime in December. Awesome. Perfect. Right before awesome. the holidays. Yeah, right before the holidays. All right. Uh, thank you for your time, sir. Uh, we really appreciate it. This was great. Uh, Paul mentioned it a couple times. My head is spinning now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get right back into boxing cards. <laughs> well, pick up my book. <laughs> yes, sir. There you go. That's a good place to start. All right. Thank you very much, sir. All right. Take it easy, guys. All Thanks. Right. Have a great day. Bye. This is RBI Crew 7 from St. Louis, Missouri, and you're listening to Fat Packs on Beckett Radio. Back-to-back, Kyle Fisher, Adam Warshaw, back-to-back interviews, both great. That was a good one-two punch. Yeah, one-two punch. I like what you did there. Yeah, what I did there. That little combo there. You like that? I like that. Yeah, great, good stuff, Good man. job. Good job. Good so both of them were great in their own uh, own their own their respect. Yeah. Um, so I thank them for hooking it up. <laughs> God, stop it. Okay. <laughs> Paul Punsworth in the house, people. <laughs> um, Kyle, I, I try not to... I, I I have a lot of respect for Kyle, and uh, I I tried not to to just you know sob all over him, but he he's a good guy. He meant a lot to me in my career. Mm-hmm. So uh, ha- having him come on and be able to you know make himself available for us was really cool. I hope and he's in Vegas now, 
So hopefully he gets to go to the fight. Heck yeah, I hope and, so too, uh, man. Hopefully Miss Anna can, doesn't get mad at him. Maybe he can report back to us. Yeah. Let us know what's going on. Maybe, maybe. Good stuff. And then Adam, oh my goodness gracious, that dude, like I said, that dude is just a wealth of knowledge. Wealth, wealth of knowledge. And I'm... My that is like that whole collecting boxing cards like I used to do. That's uh, really sparked my interest again. But I'm gonna have to buy that book. Yeah, and read. That's a good place to read start. Into it. Yeah, read into it. All right, man. Um, speaking of the fight this weekend, duh I wanted fight. To, a duh fight. I wanted to let you guys know about something that Beckett is doing. Something new. Beckett on demand. On okay? demand. On demand. Uh, this says from the final bell to your to you in 72 hours. We are doing a exclusive digital issue for uh of beckett for this fight um it's going to break down the fight it's a 64 page digital special including exclusive round by round analysis how mcgregor KO'd mayweather in social media the top 25 greatest punches ever thrown in boxing i think jersey joe walcott getting hit in the face by rocky marciano is number one by the way uh the greatest boxing movies of all time and history is the top 10 boxing legends uh this would be really like Really great digital. That's offering. huge, man. Yeah, That's so cool. It's going to be really, really cool. Uh, there's a pre-order button up later today. Today's Thursday, uh, August 24th. There will be a pre-order button for this up on the homepage uh, where you can get it, get in, get your get your uh, digital magazine. If you love, if you're a pugilist, pugilist, and you like boxing, or you know, you just kind of interested in, in what's going on this weekend, this is a great resource for you to get. It's going to be just absolutely loaded. I know we know some of the people that wrote some of the stuff in there. Ah, you might pain and some other people like that. So it's yeah. going to be pretty good, I think. I think I think it's good. I think I it's going to be a, real, think, a lot of fun. It'll be good, and I think it's um, might be the way Beckett does a few things here coming up. In digital the future. digital releases. I hope yeah, so. Man. I hope. I mean, every other people are doing it. So yeah, cool. we can be right on top of things. Exactly. You, just, you know, just do it right now. There and then go. um, that that's happening right here though. Right now here, I want to talk about our fantasy leagues. Um. Because we need to talk about them, we do. So, uh, first and foremost, 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 we have set up a DraftKings fantasy football league. That's going to be a weekly fantasy football league throughout the season, mm-hmm. um, up to two hundred participants. I think there's only 30, 30, 40 people in it right now. Oh, then sign up. Yeah. People. So what I'm going to do is just throw the link out there, and if you want to sign up, you can sign up. The okay. first place prize for this. Or the first place winning prize for for week one is a Deshaun Watson patch autograph. Boom! Right Nothing there, like off, starting out with uh, the bang. Off, off, right off the bat, right. So, so that's now don't get don't get excited. It's not going to be that way. All no, all am, I, am I eligible? Uh, no, you're not Darn. eligible. Can I play? You can play. Oh, but if I'm not you, eligible. If you want to, you can play. Okay. Um, the the fun thing is, is uh, you're going to be able to compete in this league against. Other Beckett employees. I don't know if that does anything for you, but I mean, it, it might be fun to know that you can beat Paul Worth on a weekly basis, or, or Justin Gruner, or Ian McDerry's, or, or Eric Norton. I'm just going to beat you guys. That's all I'm worried about. That's all, I, That's all I, I'm worried about. I can come in. I can come in like 195th as long yeah, as you guys are below me. I see. I the whole reason I set this up really is so I could beat Justin every week. That's it works. That's all I wanted to do. I just wanted to beat Justin every Ooh, week. Ooh, let the dogs out. Exactly. All six of them. Um, that's there. That's happening. That's up and running now. If you if you've sent me your name and you you have not seen an invite from me, I'm just going to post the link and you can invite yourself. Really, what you can do. Sounds good. The second thing that we're going to do, and it will be up and running this well probably early next week. Yeah, early next week. Um, is our actual fantasy football league 
much like we did last season that we had, you know, Jeff won it. Jeff, you are invited back because you won the league. So, Dumb man. Uh, it is you. I'm going to be completely out of this. I'm not going to do anything with it. I don't want to do anything with it. Mr. Paul is going to run it, and uh, that way it's going to open up a door for at least one more person in the league. Yep. Uh, that information will be posted either either late tomorrow or early next week. And, uh, we'll it's going to be first come, first serve. So be if yeah. you're interested at all. Be on the lookout. Yeah, be on the lookout for that. Sign up quick. I think we're only going to do 10 teams. Only 10 teams? I think we're only going to do 10. Okay. Yeah. So the key thing to remember here is that you want to get in. Uh, if you want to play and you can't get into the league, uh, you want to get into the DraftKings League. It's Now, I know that there's some, you know, you know some, some places around the country they say they can't play DraftKings. This is a completely free league. There's no money involved at all. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, that's a good – we should have said uh, that before. All you got to do is just, just jump in and, and create your account, and you can play with us. Um, again, no money involved, so you don't have to worry about the gambling aspect of things. Right, and if you want to do both, by all means, sign up for both. Yeah, sign do up my for my league, do Eric's league, and see how you do. Yeah, there's only. Again, now, I don't know if I have such cool prizes, but I'm gonna. I'll work on the the prize bag and see what I can come I, up I, with. I think you know people, so I don't. I'm not really concerned about. Yeah, it. I'll, I might be able to pull something yeah. out, of a, out of a hat. There's all that. All right, um, Maybe we can go jib for jab the whole way through. Jib for jab. Who comes up with the? The better stuff comes up with the knockout prizes. Yeah, there you go. Jeez. Yeah, man, we're gonna TKO this. Jeez, we gotta stop. We do. We absolutely have to stop. We have to stop, man. My mouthpiece keeps falling out. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. All right. What else is coming up, man? Our uh, our joint show with BAS in Las Vegas is coming up, dude. So stoked. Man. Really stoked about. Talked that. to Grad uh, Steve Grad yesterday, and uh, he's excited. I'm excited. I know you're excited. Yeah, I'm good. Let's just do this thing. I'm ready to go. I'm, what I'm, the one thing I'm not looking forward to is getting out of Vegas on Sunday morning because that's kickoff weekend, and it's going to be a little bit of hell, I think. It is, but I think we're leaving so early. I hope so. I hope that is I the mean, I think we have to be at the airport like 5 a.m. or something. If something that's crazy. how it is, it, well, I've seen the itinerary. If that's how it is, that's what I want it to be. Yeah, I think so. I think it's like no sleep all night, Saturday night, just get on a plane, go home. Yeah. Get home, sleep for three hours, wake up, watch football. Yeah, that'd yeah, be great. Pretty much what we're going to do. That'd be great. That's how it's going to work. So that's coming up. Uh, but also that Friday, that Friday when we get in, the 8th, uh, we are going to have a special engagement with uh, Clark Toys. We're going to go over to Clark Toys and uh, check them out. Is yeah. there is there is it ClarkToys.com? Yeah. I don't know their website off the top of my head. Uh, I don't know it off the top of my head either, but, but let me tell you. Let me bring it Google up Google them somehow. Check their stuff out, man. I checked it out the other day, and I apologize for not knowing the website off the top of my head, but they got some stuff. And it's cool, man, especially if you're an old guy like me. Yep, ClarkToys.com. That's yep. all it is. There um, you go. Go check them out. They have s- exclusive bobbleheads that they do. They, I know that they just did one for the uh, the 85 Bears, and they did a Larry Ledge one. Larry, oh, did Ledge they put one? the fridge on it? No. Yeah. Nope, it wasn't the fridge. It, the was, fridge. it was Mike Ditka. Okay. Um, Mike Singletary. Okay. And Walter Payton. That makes I mean, Listen, I don't know if there's enough plastic to make like all those fridges. That's you know? true. That's true. I agree. That that might not be working out real, real well for that's people. <laughs> okay, all that's coming up, uh, and we got some other things in the working. But before we leave, you know, we typically do a, a animal story, animal kingdom here, but uh, not this week. Not this week. No, no snakes this week. No snakes or nothing like that this week. Yeah, no but bats. Uh, no, no mountain lions running through Dow- downtown Dallas. Nothing like that. Okay. No, but I did want to tell you a story about a man who shot himself in the heart with a nail gun and lived to tell the story. Okay. Not only did he live to tell the story, he pretty much kicked things ass. It's pretty cool. 
the nail gun? Just the whole life situation. Oh, all right. <laughs> so uh, this was uh, reported last week. This is August 16th by Alex Sheffer on the Washington Post. Uh, this has been pretty much everywhere in the news. If you missed it, you just it's you just missed it. I missed it. Yep. Yeah. Nail guns are powerful devices firing off metal projectile projectiles at speeds of 90 miles per hour. Yeah, I mean we all saw lethal weapon. Yeah, all right? of them. Yeah, 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 we saw lethal weapon. Uh, those those using them warns the centers for the disease control and prevention may face injury or death from d- double firing, for example, or from wielding wielding the tool while in an awkward bodily position. Doug Bergeson of Pistego, Wisconsin. Check both of those boxes at once, double firing a nail gun. <laughs> oh, no. Wielded while, while he was in an awkward position. He, would have, he wound up with a three-and-a-half-inch nail lodged in his chest, actually oh. penetrating his heart. Oh, Considering man. that the doctors who removed it said Ber, Ber, Bergeon was just centimeters from death, would, the wounded man tells the story with a remarkable nonchalance. That's why I wanted to read this story. The way he read, the way he tells the story. Yeah. And just the look on his face while he's laying in the hospital bed, he's like, this crap. You know, just, <laughs> just another day. Just, uh. Seven weeks ago, Bergeron told the Washington Post he was using the nail gun to install a fireplace in a house he's building for his family. He had to reach up, standing on his tiptoes, wrap, wrap his left arm around and behind the wooden frame in such a way that the gun would be facing his body. And when he pulled the trigger, only with only a piece of wood in between him and himself, you know, in the gun, that might have been okay. But the gun accidentally double fired. That is, it fired two nails in a quick succession instead of one. The second nail, he said, ricocheted and went into his chest. Bergeron, a, for- a farmer who also does construction for a living, said that he didn't initially feel the nail and enter his body. I'm going to tell you something. If a nail goes into my body, <laughs> I know immediately. <laughs> but we might not, though. It's true. It depends on a couple which, of layers which, yeah, of flat to, go layers through, to get through. But yeah, no, I'm I'm feeling what you're saying there, though. But when he looked down there, there it was protruding from his chest through a hole in his shirt. He said he didn't see a drop of blood come out of him the whole time. Once I felt that, once I felt the nail in me, I was like, well, I can put I can pull it pull that one out. He said, too many important things over here. So basically, he just wants to continue working through the day. Jeez. Uh, the rest of the story plays out like this. Does he know the guy with the snake? Not maybe. I met their Facebook friends. <laughs> he goes. He goes to the hospital. He drives himself to the hospital as he should. As he should. His reasoning for driving himself to the hospital is because he didn't want to bother anybody. <laughs> well, and helicopters are expensive. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so he gets to the hospital. They pull it out of his chest, and the man lives. That's a. It's a, a medical miracle. It's amazing. But the, I'm telling you, you just got to see the look on this guy's face. The look on his face is like, this is like the most inconvenient thing that could have happened to him today because he had to work he, had to work. he just didn't want he didn't want it but uh, thank wow. god the man lived I, yeah, I was gonna say yeah it's a good good thing he's still with us i pray for his recovery i, I, I bet he's doing well and everything but uh i think i found it funny i found that, it real funny that, that's interesting that is uh wow that is interesting <sighs> yeah all right um <laughs> i got nothing you got man. nothing i got nothing he, man. he nailed it all right um he did he, he nailed it right to the yeah never mind all right he got to the heart of the matter we're gonna get out of here because uh lunch is calling my name but uh i want to thank you guys exactly i want to thank you guys for listening uh, i pray that you guys have a blessed week and until next week just keep listening cue the ll cool j Woo-tay.